Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana, he's manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Happy New Year. Happy, happy, happy New Year. Here we are. It's 2023. When you say the year, do you say it's 2023 or do you say it's 2023? 2023. I once said to my kids, guys, it's 2022. And they looked at me like I had seven heads. They're (laughs) like, who says that? It's not 2022. I'm like, well, no, it is. That is the actual year. 2022 or 2023 is just a shorthand way of saying it, but they thought it was like the dumbest thing they had ever heard. I would say my kids feel that way about most of the things I say. So don't take that too personally. And you know, when you ask me, how do you say it? And I said it with such authority and conviction. And I'm like, I'm not sure I've said it yet. (laughs) Right. Sure. I, I haven't talked to many people since it actually turned the new year. But yeah, 2023 just has a little more pop. I'd say it's a little less stumbly bumbly coming out of the mouth. How uh, was your New Year's? Did you do anything special? Anything fun? I made disappointing steaks for a couple friends. Annie and I have this coffee rub steak recipe we've done a couple of times. It's great, but we thought we'd get a little smarter than the recipe and we thought we'd let the, the meat get to room temperature. But the recipe actually calls for like, no, just slap it on there after you get it out of the fridge and throw it on the grill. We're like, well, it could only make it tastier by letting that rub soak in for a while once it starts warming up. But no, other than that, we watched Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus ring in the new year. So it was uh, it was very low key, but it was nice to catch up with friends. How about you? Um, I have a funny story. I think it's funny to share about how just perfect Pankowski timing on my New Year's Eve celebration. Okay. So I'm not a New Year's guy. Like, I don't drink. You know, you don't drink. Um, Seems like New Year's is largely about just getting as blitzed as you can for most people. I mean, I feel like that was a while ago in our lives. I I don't have too many friends out there raging anymore on New Year's. Well, then we have different friends. Really? Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, yeah, I got so drunk. I, you know, started drinking at 10 a.m. Really? Yeah. People watching football, you know, Uh, whatever. Sure. So um, I didn't really want to do anything, but our neighbor who we're good friends with and, and has three kids that are the same exact ages as my kids invited us to come over. I'm like, sure, we'll do that. And I figured I'll go over from like seven to nine. And then be home and in bed by 10, 15, 10, 30. 
celebrate the New York slash Indiana New Year's. Exactly. Exactly. So I go over there. Turns out there's another family there. I'm like, oh, new people. I I don't need new people. I don't want to end the year with new people. I don't need it. But about 10 minutes in, find out that these new people went to IU. Crazy. Both of them, husband and wife. <laughs> wow. One from, one from Minnesota slash Wisconsin and one from Los Angeles. Fantastic. And they were there the same exact time we were there. No kidding. Yes. Who were they? Um, I don't know if I should give their names out, but good people. I didn't know them at Indiana. Um, they were, I think, uh, sports marketing and, and, and I can't remember what the other major was. Journalism. They were both journalism majors. That's right. Okay. And so that was really fun to kind of talk through that stuff. So did that. Then we go into the dining room. We have dinner. The, the, the six adults were sitting at one end of the table and all the kids at the rest of it. And I'll be honest, like I got through the food and I was like, I just want to get to dessert. I just, can we, we had brought some of these. Um, you ever had those tea cakes from Martino's bakery sure. in Burbank? Yeah. I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. And so we brought a couple boxes of those over for dessert and dinner ends and the women stay at the dinner table and the men go into the kitchen and I'm like raiding their pantry, eating like candy, just finding starburst. And I'm not kidding, like old starburst and just pulling out every filling that I have eating the starburst. I've seen you work over my pantry before. Yeah. I mean, that's what I do. I go in and I work over a pantry. I don't care. So I'm doing that. And then I, I just say to the guy, the husband, I'm like, hey, can, can we just get the dessert rolling? Like, wh what do we have to do? Like, and he's like, I don't know. They're still talking in there. And I'm looking, I'm peeking into the dining room and the three of them are talking. I'm like, what are they even talking about? I'm like, the hell with it. I grabbed a box of the tea cakes, rolled in. I'm like, dessert time. Where should I put them? And like, there was like an awkward silence. And I'm like, anybody, anybody want a tea cake? I'm in. <laughs> and and the new woman that I met, who who was very nice and we got along great, but she's like, just put them wherever you want. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I just put them down like on the table and I grab my tea cake and I'm like, I'm out of here. Okay. And start. Okay. And so I go back into the kitchen. I'm like, guys, tea cakes. Let's go. It's go time. And then about two minutes later, my neighbor who owns the house, the woman walks into the kitchen and I can tell something's amiss. Mm. And I'm like, you like those tea cakes? Cause that's all I'm focused on. Right. <laughs> yeah, Clearly. And she's like, I haven't eaten one yet. And I notice a tear coming down her eye. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, are you crying? And she's like, y yeah. I'm like, what, what's going on in there? We were gone for like, 10 minutes like what is happening in there that in the 10 minutes well this the the new woman the woman i had just met was just telling us about how her mother has cancer and uh she's going to die any day now and just as she told us that you come in with tea cakes everybody <laughs> who wants tea cakes where should i put the tea cakes just perfect timing oh perfect boy. timing that one poor woman she's like just put them anywhere get out of here <laughs> so oh man did that 
came home. It was pouring in L.A., as you know. Um, insane. Yes. It was incredible. Uh, you know, and then did the same thing you did. Watched Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton in a fever dream of a television production, as we yeah. discussed offline. With the ghost of David Byrne yeah. swimming around. It was so bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. Dolly just out there rocking it, looking like a cartoon character. Um, you know, I've I've done some deep dives on Dolly, uh, Dolly Parton in America. Great limited series podcast for people to check out. She's featured a lot in the Ken Burns country music documentary. But those were were somewhat, um, let's say, family friendly. And I didn't realize how much Dolly has embraced publicly her plastic surgery like she, has she really there, there's a whole website I, i'll share this website because our friend who came over she was like oh yeah she's really out there like supporting her uh plastic surgery adventures she said it's sangsplus.com has a whole page of dolly parton quotes on plastic surgery so you know that that's not God something bless her. Not something Ken Burns really got into with her, sure. but uh, she's she is clearly um, one of the great Americans. And how better to end one year and start a new one than with Dolly Parton? Agreed. Oh, and also, wait, what... oh, hold on, I've got a couple. They came right up. Okay. She goes. Uh, plastic surgeons are always making mountains out of molehills. <laughs> <laughs> But now this is this is this is the songwriter. She's she's a she's a songwriter. She's a poet. If I see something sagging, bagging, or dragging, I'm gonna have it nipped, tucked, or sucked. <laughs> she goes. I describe my look as a blend of Mother Goose, Cinderella, and the local hooker. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is not that long ago Holly was like, "We got to watch this movie." You know the movie she did with Burt Reynolds, the best, best little whorehouse in Texas. I mean, that's not a movie. It's if you explain the plot to your kids, you you will you will catch yourself before the words escape your mouth because it's ridiculous. That movie does not get made today. I mean, it does not get made. First of all, you can't name a movie that. Oh, the 80s were a very special time. I mean, just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. I was going to say, what better way than to end one year and begin another year, as you said, with Dolly Parton and also with our sponsor who's been with us for a while now because we are being brought to you by uh, <laughs> I mean just starting the new year with a crude joke no Indiana talk so far and just just butchering how we do this let's try it one more time we are powered by communitycars.com Happy, happy new year from Community Cars, communitycars.com, our good friends, Evan Martin and his whole family. It's the new year. Usually means people are starting to look at, do I need a new car this year? Yeah. And if you are going to get a new car. I don't care where you live. You could live out here in Los Angeles with us. You could live in Bloomington. Internationally, we're still checking. Still researchers are on it. We will definitively get that answer this year. Yeah, definitively. But communitycars.com is the answer for all of your car needs. 
They've got lots of different dealerships and lots of brands. Obviously, they sell used cars as well. But you've got to buy a car from them. My car was delivered to me. We've told this story many times. Several other people that listen to the podcast have taken us up on our pitching of community cars and have had nothing but stellar experiences. They, they feel like they're being taken care of. They feel like the people at Community Cars really listen to them and make it really super easy for them. So whether you want to go in and do the old school, sit across from the table and pretend you're some great negotiator that's still going to get hosed in the end, go ahead. You can do that. But they're still going to charge you what they want to charge you, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, or you want to do it on the phone or you want to do it online. Any car you want, any car you need, best prices anywhere and and simply the best customer service and you're choosing to give your money to a company and an organization that supports Indiana athletics and it's a big deal when you buy a car and it's a lot of money why not make sure that the business it's going to is is a, a company aligned with at least part of what you care about which is Indiana athletics and when you get in there when you call when you get online make sure to mention the Hoosier hysterics because if 10 of you do that I get a free car <laughs> all right so let's go over what you have promised look in okay. international delivery yep uh 50 off correct buy 10 you get a car hoping for it yeah yeah i think at one point you might have even said buy one get one free <laughs> bogo a bogo at community cars yeah I, i'm just look this is all just to see if evan actually is listening you know i think <laughs> i think maybe he's he's gotten a little too busy making great deals on cars for people because i'm just like i'm expecting after any one of these to get the text of like what the hell are you doing but yeah. you know well, yeah, it would be warranted it would be very warranted <laughs> yeah, all right i mean let's get into some indiana stuff okay um Let's talk about Indiana women's basketball because it's the only thing really going on right now in Indiana athletics. Nail biter. Uh, unbelievable nail biter following a, a nail biter loss that was just, look, this team was undefeated going into a game at Michigan State who had struggled a little bit. I watched that game. It was really disappointing because of how we played. I mean, look, we're not going to win every game, but we turned the ball over like 23 times in that game. You just can't win games, especially on the road, turning the ball over 23 times. It's just not going to happen. Very so uncharacteristic. Yeah, it was really disappointing. And and they've got some players in slumps right now. Sarah Scalia, Scalia, I'm sorry, Sarah Scalia is really slumping. It looks like her confidence is really shook, which is a shame. She's a baller and she can hit shots from anywhere. We need her back. And I also think we're starting to see like, other teams have figured out without grace, how do we play this team? Mm -hmm. And there's enough tape on it now. And the scouting is getting better. And when you get into the big 10 where the scouting is really good and the coaches are really good and the coaches yep. know your team really well to begin with, it's difficult. And that all came to a head yesterday against Nebraska, who I was impressed with. They, they, they looked pretty good. They had some size. They had some uh, yeah. three point shooting. I'm not sure who their four losses were to, but I would imagine they were mostly pretty good teams because they, they looked solid all the way into overtime. Agree. One of their losses was to Michigan, who's one of the best teams in the country. So, there you go. Um, but I mean, at one point in that game yesterday, they had hit nine three-pointers and we had hit two. So that was 27 to six as far as points. And it wasn't a high scoring game. You know, going into overtime, it was 62 to 62. So they had 27 points of 62 on threes, and we had six of 62 at one point on threes. It 
it was a, a nail biter, but we battled back. We fought like hell. Mackenzie Holmes is so good. Yeah. So the, good. If, if, you know, if you have to get a lot of two pointers to keep up with the team, Mackenzie's who you want down on the block. No kidding. Chloe played well. Yarden Garzon, who's had a really good, you know, first half of her college career, struggled mightily until overtime. And then overtime, we rolled them 12 nothing. Well, and to mention Sydney Parrish, too, in terms yes. of like what she was second leading yes. scorer behind yes. McKenzie is just that. I mean, for as much as other Big Ten coaches know this team and the way they play based on Coach Moore and, and who's returning, you know, if if Mac doesn't get you, Sydney does big time three pointer. And, it, you know, I loved it being on ESPN. And yes, especially yes. like being able to bounce back and just like turning on my YouTube TV, which I love. And and it's the first thing being offered to me. And I'm like, oh, look at this. This is great. Um, it just it's a good sign for the program when, you know, it's during the holidays and you pop it on and your your ladies team is being really showcased. And fortunately, they pulled it off. Yeah. And by the way, the crowd. Did you see the crowd? Over 7,000 people on New Year's Day. Students are not there. Over 7,000. The eighth largest crowd in the history of the program. Oh, I didn't know it was. I did not know it was historic. It was. But I got to huh. tell you, man, look, there are other programs, other women's programs, not just basketball. But like if you watch Nebraska volleyball, they pack it with like over 10,000 people. Sure. You know, UConn basketball packs it. We should be over 10,000 for this team and this year and what they're capable of doing and the players that we may not have next year, especially Grace Berger. There's huge games coming up against top teams in the country, Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan. Pack the hall to support this team. I have no doubt as the team is moving towards a Big Ten title, it will increase. But you think about UConn. I mean, that's been built over dynasties and decades. And I just feel like, you know, there's still some people just waking up to what's going on in Bloomington. Like, oh, maybe they saw the NIT championship footage. That was cool. And then, you know, getting to an Elite Eight and starting to get their attention. But you just keep putting a great product on the floor and more people are coming out of those games being like, man, we're so good. We're so fun to watch. You should come with me next time. You know, Coach Morin will have that place getting fuller and fuller as the seasons progress. Yeah, I'm with you. So the big news, though, is Grace Berger. No brace, no brace, you know, no crutches, looking like pretty good, getting up and down on the bench. And there were some coaches, um, Coach Box, uh, who did some, some talking uh, before the game uh, or maybe after the game. It seems like everybody's expecting Grace back in the next week or two. Like, and it's awesome because the way the schedule breaks, we've got a week off until the next game, which is Northwestern. So she's got that full week. We don't start playing like the big teams till a little, like I think that Northwestern is on the road. So that'll be tough because it's a road game. But like, if we get Grace back for that game or the game after, she's going to be there for the bulk of the big time games. What is going to be interesting is what do you do with this lineup? Because Sydney Parrish was coming off the bench when Grace was starting. And Sydney is indispensable to this team right now. Do you have her come off the bench? Chloe's been manning the point. Grace was manning the point. You know, just will there be some growing pains working Grace back in? I have no doubt they'll figure it out. Yeah, but good problem to have. And thank goodness it's Coach Morin and her staff figuring that out and not us. Yep. Uh, 
Julian's over here eating cereal and he was cheering. He was cheering for you. You saying that about Terry Moore. Yeah. Grace is getting better. Um, um, wait, so, so her new nickname, let's say until she returns to action is no brace, Grace, no brace, Grace, and no Grace. She's NBG. coming for you. And no brace, NBG. Grace. Um, football. You want to talk about football? Uh, no. Cool. Cool. Wait, Moving no, on. we signed a bunch of people. I'm, I'm sure they're all, um, Five stars. I didn't. I, I didn't actually check the each rating. I just assumed that we signed like 17, 11. What was it? Seventeen people we signed. Eleven. I don't know. It wasn't seventeen. I don't think. I think it was eleven. Look, there's been a lot made recently. There's been a couple players who entered the transfer portal and said they're coming back. Look, I get it. I'm very happy that somebody who came to Indiana is not leaving Indiana because Indiana is the best place in the world to go to college. So I love that. But I see like unbridled enthusiasm for like, oh my God, we're bowl bound. I'm like, the guys coming back were the same ones that were on the team last year, right? Another year of experience. Yeah, right. Okay. Experience of what? Experience of being the worst power five football team in America? Well, I mean, that's pretty good motivation. Yeah. Like I sure. definitely they're like, I guys, I definitely don't want to do that again. Let's let's do something different this year. Yeah. Look, I am sure I, I know I will get excited and we have to support this program and we need to continue to raise money for NIL. I, I'm just having a tough time ginning up the enthusiasm right now as I watch Michigan and Ohio State, who I was really happy that they both lost. I was going to ask because, you know, there's that age old debate. Do you root for other Big Ten teams? And I hate that debate. Mm. Do, do you root for other Big Ten teams? I, I cannot do it intellectually. I sort of get the argument. I will say this. I have a neighbor who yeah, I, I really enjoy and uh, and another friend I've made who are both like they're not just Michigan fans, but they're like really classy and cool about both you found the you found the two uh i found the two it was because i really was quite anti-michigan before that but i have found myself being like look i've got no skin in this game whatsoever i don't care about georgia i don't care about tcu and i and i guess because michigan has been on the wrong side of the rivalry for osu so long my natural tendency to root for underdogs i've definitely been pulling for them and jim harbaugh who i love from his colts days sure and so purely and this is so unlike me just for somebody else's happiness i did want michigan to win for my two my two friends but but and, uh, and but, here is the difference between ward roberts and eric pankowski <laughs> I have friends who are both those schools' biggest fans as well, uh-huh. and I heartily root against their happiness. <laughs> that right there, what you just laid out, is a clear delineation between you and me. I, If I can't be happy, I don't want people in my sphere to be that happy. <laughs> I don't know anyone who goes to TCU, so God bless TCU. I love English Bulldogs. Go Georgia Bulldogs. So I don't know anybody who goes to Georgia. So I'm so happy that it's two teams that I have no connection with. I'm yeah. very happy about that. I hate every Big Ten team. 
I hate them. I want them all to lose. I do believe it's a zero-sum game. The better they are, the harder it is for us to be good. So I want them to be bad and suck and not experience success. I will never root for Big Ten teams. Let me qualify it that this is for football, where I really feel like they're on Everest. We're sure. in the Mariana Trench. And we're there's... on the Cahokia Mounds. <laughs> yes. Do you yeah. Did you ever do the Cahokia Mounds? No, I only found out about them a few years ago, and I, I asked you, I was like, Eric, do you know about these things? Because, yeah. you know, this whole idea that there were indigenous populations in North America that had cities of tens of thousands was n never something I was taught in school. Indiana, yeah. Indiana doesn't talk about the Cahokia uh, mega city that was going on back in the day. And and I'm sure that the descendants of of, of the, those peoples are just so happy that their mounds that they built, which are, it's like an engineering marvel and how yeah. they did it, are now just being used by white students in St. Louis to come over for a field trip and roll down on your sides <laughs> to see how many, how far you can go. I'm sure that they're really happy about trampling on their tradition like that. But anyway, um, yes, I understand your point in football. We're in a different league, so it doesn't, it doesn't feel as, as visceral. I would, I would never root for another big 10 team in basketball in tournament time or in a, in any circumstance preseason exhibition I'm screw yeah, them I'm, all i'm just i'm just trying to think of look if it's anybody versus kentucky i typically want kentucky to lose no matter what so i guess if it's but if it's purdue kentucky i just want the building to cave in like that's yeah. what i root for i root for an earthquake sure but if it's like i don't know uh, i'm trying to think like ohio state versus kentucky Mm. Mm. Uh, I like I just don't care I don't watch it I don't I want bad things to happen to both teams I guess I yeah I don't know because I hate Kentucky more than I hate Ohio State but Ohio State winning big games is bad for Indiana because we we're we're in the same conference we compete for the same recruits so it's a real dilemma you know what's fun is is seeing a program like Kentucky suffer and look, it hasn't gotten to the extreme as it has for Louisville, but I mean, it is pretty fun to see Kentucky wildcat people in meltdown mode. And, and, and after getting run out of the building by Missouri, I'm just like, this is great. Cause we're, we're look, we've had a couple of games here. We're disappointed about, but I, we all still feel the trajectory is going in the right direction. And just to see Kentucky fans just eating Calipari limb by limb, just being like, yes, like get this bum out of there and proving what we want proven from the beginning that the dude's just um, the bad kind of used car salesman. Um, the kind of, if you don't go to community cars, you're going to end up with a guy like Cal trying to yeah. sell you an 84 Buick with rust on the inside that he's painted over. I was going to say Buick. Like we were both, were going to go for the same reference. Cause I knew where you were going and I'm like, how, how specific is he going to be? And in yeah. my head, I, I, I was, I would say Buick because Buick is the funniest name, right? Yeah. Well, you've got the, um, classic Will Ferrell ske sketch where he's like, I'm, I'm doing an, important stuff important stuff and what car did he oh he referenced a car that was so funny i drive oh a god a pontiac is also a good funny name pontiac's good i drive a dodge stratus oh there we go that's good that's good that's good <laughs>
Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That is good. Dodge <laughs> Stratus is good. So um, I agree with you. By the way, Kentucky fans are right to be questioning him. His record over the last like four years versus ranked teams is abysmal. I mean, it is abysmal. It's not even like mediocre. It's terrible. And and while they were really good last year in the regular season, they lost in the first round as a two seed to St. Peter's, which they have no business losing to St. Peter's, which no. then of course went on to beat Purdue, which was phenomenal. But they, if I were a Kentucky booster or a fan, I would be pissed off too. Like they, they, they have way too much talent to suck the way they've sucked. There is nobody who's done less with more than Cal over the last 15 years. When you figure pretty much every year he was suiting up uh, a team that was for sure top five in talent in the country, some yeah. years two or one, that to come away with it with only one championship is definitely underperforming. And and then and look, I you and I have talked about this a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future, but like winning a title is so much goes into it, you yeah. know. Um Getting to a Final Four and getting to Final Four somewhat consistently, you're an unbelievable coach if that's what you're doing. He is not getting to Final Fours consistently now. If he was, I think the argument would be silly. But, I mean, the COVID year where they don't even make the tournament, which I don't care how weird the year is, the talent that they have, they should never not make the tournament. That is just, it's abysmal. They should not be losing to a 15 seed. They 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 haven't beaten anybody this year. It is so enjoyable to see them lose. I'm telling you, one of the great things was at, in Lawrence, Kansas, after we shit the bed and played terrible and lost, one of the only saving graces was we were at the bar and we got to watch UCLA beat Kentucky. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, obviously, you and I both like Mick Cronin and, 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 and Michael Lewis is to – blame for that i think but it was just so good to watch kentucky lose and watching them lose and watching them go after cal with such fervor is beautiful it's my favorite sport of the winter yeah because look louisville being in uh complete dumpster fire mode is great too but there's just never going to be the same level of satisfaction watching them suffer as it is kentucky I totally, totally now, agree. Now we just need Matt Painter to take the Texas job and and the, the destruction of all our rivals will be complete. You know, it's funny. Our good friend, uh, Jeff Goodman, was talking about that if Cal does go away, who would they go after? And he said his first call would be Matt Painter. Yeah. I just can't see. I can't see Matt Painter leaving Purdue for any job unless an NBA job came and got him. Yeah, I, I agree him. because I'm I'm assuming he's got millions stashed away. Uh cost of living in West Lafayette, not too pricey. I think you can buy the nicest home in West Lafayette for five thousand dollars. What can, are you talking about? They pay you to live in West Lafayette. It, it's like it, a subsidized program. There's th- that, you know, if if he hadn't been a player there, if he hadn't been groomed um to be gene katie's successor and and now is like why if it's you don't need more money you know i'm sure his kids are taken care of then why would you leave everything kind of you've ever known 
um, if you can't get your 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 program to another level like you you can't get it to another level than being number one in the country right the only reason i would see is if he's a competitive guy which he obviously is if he thought to himself i can't win a national title here and i want to win a national title but i don't believe he thinks that we think that but i certainly hope that yeah but i don't think he thinks that i mean he's got the number one team in the country he was a weird play away from being in the final four a few years back with Carson Edwards. Ooh, 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 question for you. Would you, I mean, I guess I, I know the answer right away, but would you rather Purdue never win a national championship, but that means in our lifetime, I, you can't win one, or would you rather Purdue gets to win one, but then we get to win one also? <laughs> Let me ask a qualifying question. Sure. In the order of who wins the championships in our lifetime, which one comes first, which one comes last? My preference would be for Purdue to win first. And then if and you then... could guarantee me that, I'll give them one so that we have the joy of seeing the last Indiana championship before we die. Yes. If it's the other way around and I die knowing that Purdue won one more recently than us, I think I would say I'll sacrifice my own national title hopes and not let them win one. Yeah, I just whenever it would come because, you know, we were we were groaning uh, with with uh, the goons over New Year's texts about how long it's been, you know, since they became fans, since they decided on a whim when one of their old girlfriends decided to go to IU, that all four of them would just go there. Yeah. God bless them. What a and, bunch of idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're just as devoted as anybody who was born into it like we were. Um, that, okay, will this, will this misery ever end? And, of course, I believe it absolutely will. And we've still got hopefully a few good decades left. I think it's going to work out. But thinking about them and, of course, us and everybody we know and everybody who listens to this, like we get so geeked out just being in Las Vegas for like a December game against the top 10 team. Can you, I mean, people will be ripping their faces off and show Walter Fountain. People will die from joy when this program wins its next national championship i cannot wait uh, i am i am with you and it seems like a good segue to talk about that program indiana university basketball and we do that with a new segment roll the song iu ventures presents a segment without pretense who's your hoop live just for you we got iu ventures they're not pretentious we got, I mean, it's it's a great song. It's a great song, and it's a great partner who is with us to talk about Hoosier Hoopla, where we talk about the current state of all things Indiana basketball with our partners from IU Ventures, which, you know, we've talked about them for the last several weeks, and over the next few weeks, I think we're going to get into some specific businesses that they have funded or that have been uh, able to uh, find some angel investors from the IU Ventures network, but it's an unbelievable thing. It's there, look, Indiana University is an incredible, incredible academic institution that also does a lot to support people in business. As we know, the Kelly School 
is a huge part of the success of Indiana University. Mm -hmm. And Indiana has lots of facets that support entrepreneurs, but only one of them actually writes checks, only one. And that's IU Ventures. It is a organization that is set up just for IU students, staff, faculty, alumni. You have access to this pool of money if you're an entrepreneur with a new business idea, intellectual property. They will take your pitch. They will fund you if it makes sense for both parties. They will also introduce you to this web and network of IU people who want to be investors in your company. So it is it is just a remarkable thing. It's Shark Tank IU style. This is how much I love IU Ventures. I was driving with my family. My wife had a meeting with somebody in the entertainment industry she used to work with, IU guy, and very accomplished, great resume, knows lots of people, and he's he's starting up his own kind of production company. We won't get into the details, and he's got some backing. And I was like, you know, if he needs more backing. And then I just basically launched into our spiel here. And I told Annie about it before. She's an IU alum. I'm like, this is really cool. They're a new sponsor for the show. But now I'm sort of sitting here doing the uh, the song and dance of IU Ventures to my wife where the kids can hear so they know what's going on there too. And just really believing in what this thing is because as we will tell you in coming episodes, it is already working. It's This is not like a brand new thing that let's see how this works, guys. This is already working and anybody out there listening to get can get involved, whether you, you, you've got that idea or you want to seed some money into a great idea, go and to iuventures.com. Invest, right? Like it's not, yeah. you're not just giving your money away. This is a business opportunity for people like us. Oh, yeah. That, you know, you sign up for the newsletter on iuventures.com, iuventures.com, free sign up for the newsletter. Find out all the, these great things about these entrepreneurs and these companies that all have Indiana ties. And there may be a way for you to make some scratch, some skrilla, some dollars, some. I get that's it. Cash money. Cash money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. All right, so uh, we love IU Ventures. IUVentures.com, go sign up for the newsletter, and let's talk about all the goings-on in IU basketball, which for the last week has been nothing. Diddly I, squat. I hate this two-week break. I hate it. I looked up uh, – I stopped at a team ranked 30th in Ken Palm. I looked at the top 30 teams in Ken Palm. No team took two weeks off except for Indiana. No team. Every single team played a game this last week, the week before, one game before going into now the crunch of conference uh, scheduling. Only one team took two weeks off, Indiana University. Why? When would I don't like it. I don't like taking two weeks off going into a huge road game at Iowa against a wounded Iowa team who sucks right now and, and can't win against even Eastern Illinois at home. They're going to be angry which I don't really, I mean, look, they suck. We should beat them on the road. Brand's always like, angry. Yeah, exactly. But I, I don't know about you, but I don't like this two weeks off before playing a conference game. I don't think it's a good idea. I'm clearly not as worked up about it as you. Sure. Um, it's aggravating for me as a fan, not getting to watch our boys out there. Yeah. Uh, the, the upshot, I think, whatever has been hampering Trace, um, two two full weeks of not feeling pressure to to get him onto the court him not feeling that pressure i just hope he comes back 100 percent super bouncy 
energized Trace. Um, and, you know, uh, look, we kind of needed a reset. I don't know if we needed a two-week reset, but it was a little bit of like, oh, boy, the the end of 2022 basketball for as fired up as we all were, let's say, right up until like the first three minutes of the Arizona game. A lot of the wind got sucked out of our sails, but now like we've kind of settled into like the the high teens and the rankings, which it's the recalibration of expectation going now into the heart of the Big Ten schedule. I think that's healthy for all of us. This idea of being, you know, eighth ranked or Ken Palm's got a sixth or Sagarin's got his fifth. That that was all setting us up for the the heartbreak that did come in Lawrence and in Vegas. And now the nice thing about where these expectations are, they're still not uh, completely unrealistic to compete at the top of the Big Ten because the Big Ten ain't very good. I think you're right. I mean, like, that's the saving grace for the season is the Big Ten sucks. I mean, Michigan, who has sucked, boat races Maryland yesterday, who has sucked, you know, after looking decent. Illinois, who looked great at the beginning, has sucked. Michigan State has sucked. Iowa has sucked. Like, the only team that's really impressing a lot is Purdue. And um, Rutgers. and Ohio State on some level. Who who are you saying? R- Rutgers has done some damage, too. Yeah, they have. But, you know, look, everybody focuses on – I hate the AP ranking. I just don't care about it. I think the voters, for the most part, are stupid. And they There's don't one, actually... one great voter. Yeah, Jeff Rabjohns. But I don't actually think they look at what teams really are. I think they, like, create a narrative, and then it feeds off of itself – I like the numbers-based ranking systems better. You've heard me talk about Bartorvik over the years. Yeah. Bartorvik has Indiana as 29th in the country. Oh, and wow. But that – it because it doesn't include anything from the prior year, which Ken Palm does. Right. And the bottom line is that our defense has not been very good this year. It has certainly not been elite or anywhere close to what we thought it was going to be, and it hasn't been as good as the narrative that was told about Indiana defense. And the offense is unimaginative. Does It's not that powerful. Here, Here is the basic difference. This is going to be somewhat controversial. Nobody's going to like this. Last year's offense, Mike Woodson's offense, was not remarkably better than Archie Miller's offense. It wasn't. Their efficiency, the actual numbers, was statistically insignificant difference between Mike Woodson's offense and Archie Miller's offense. The difference this year is we're shooting about 3 to 4% better from the three-point line. That's it. Instead of shooting 31%, 32%, we're at like 36, 37 for a team, which is good. That's yeah. fine. You can win a lot of games. There. now. But you got to shoot more of them. Totally. But the offense does not generate great point production. It doesn't. And, and the offense is not imaginative or innovative. We don't run great sets. We run a lot of one-on-one basketball. We want to run a lot of pick and roll. And we we really rely on a post presence to create a lot of our offense, which is not the way most college basketball is played these days. You know who does play that that college basketball? Kentucky, who has a shit offense. That's the truth. Well, it's been interesting. Uh, an article came out, I forget who it was, saying, like, has, has Cal turned into uh, – 
oh, who was the football coach he compared him to? I don't know. But basically uh, an underperforming coach who always had a lot of talent on the football side of things. And, and breaking it down a little bit, it was very much to your point of like, it's kind of roll the ball out there, let it play. And with Oscar down low, they've got like a, a more extreme version of Trace, a bigger, um, more capable version of Trace. And it's not working for them either. Right, exactly. Because it's just not how basketball is played these days. And I think scouting and other coaches have figured out how to stop that. So... Look, I think the Bartorvik ranking around now is a, probably about right. And again, I don't know. I don't watch 30 other teams play, so I don't know. But I do know that when I see us ranked 15th in the country, that's I just don't buy that. I, I just do not buy that we're one of the 15th best teams in the country. Our defense now, is porous and our yeah. offense is mediocre. Well, and look, what we're 19th in Kembaum, 20th in Sagarin, um, but we don't have – Xavier Johnson on our team right now and and as uh great as Jalen is and you know I think will become uh you just we know the ceiling but I'd say both the floor and the ceiling on this team are elevated when when X is out there um and uh, who knows how long it's gonna be I actually I agree with you on ceiling I think the floor is not elevated with X out there because when X is bad, the floor goes way down. That's fair. Yeah. When, you know, like he he's not a guy who like when he's good, he's great. He is. When he is really good, he is great. But when he's bad, it's not like he's he's like a non-factor. He is a huge negative when he's bad. Well, and it's when you're talking about good Troy, bad Troy, which is where I felt that idea started. But Troy Williams was never a point guard. Like he he wasn't in charge of the team every time you got on that end of the floor. So it really was like, oh boy, you know, it's a third trip down the floor and Troy's got it. What the hell is he going to do? It's either going to be a spectacular slash to the basket or he's just going to lose it into the fourth row of the stands. But with X, when he's not in the right mindset, you could lose the ball every time down the court. So, look, we've got five games coming up, this five-game stretch. I always kind of like to look at the Big Ten season and break it up into, like, just little stretches. These five games, three of the five are on the road. Iowa, Penn State, and Illinois are all on the road. We have Northwestern and Wisconsin at home. Northwestern and Wisconsin at home are absolute must-wins. Like, you just have to win them. And then of those three road games, if you want to compete, you got to take two of those road games. And I think winning at Illinois will be really difficult. Penn State is a good basketball team. By the way, I don't know if you've watched them, Ward, but Micah Shrewsbury has them playing some really fun basketball. They are spread out. They go five wide. They shoot a ton of threes. They move the ball. They move bodies. Have you really watched Penn State play? Yeah, I've watched two full games of Penn State. And I just watched the Iowa game last night where they, they went out to a huge lead against Iowa, and then Iowa battled back and actually made it a game at the end and before Penn State pulled it out. But Penn State's one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. My point is, this five-game stretch is really important. Where are you going to get road wins is hugely important. This Iowa game coming up on Thursday is massive because they are not a good basketball team right now at all. We have to win this game. Like It is a big, huge game to win. But- I look down the whole schedule and, and, and look, it's how we've played what two big 10 games at this point. 
Yes. So you have 18 left. And when you're talking about expectations for the season, what kind of seeding you want to get into the tournament, it's not, every game's huge. Every game's huge because the Big Ten's always decided by a game or two. Any position in the top three or four teams, they're always within a game or two of each other. So it's like even what should be the easier games, you can't like you just can't let your guard down. Oh. We're clearly not a team that can even go into Northwestern and expect yeah, to yeah. win. You're absolutely right. I guess what I mean is I don't want to lose any game. And I want to win every single one we play in. But when you look at the schedule and you see like, okay, we play Minnesota away, you've got to assume you're going to win that game, right? Because Minnesota is terrible. I want Northwestern to. is I want not to very good. You have to assume at home you're going to win the Northwestern game. So I look at the schedule and there's like these road games that are kind of in the balance because, look, we only have nine more home games. So you win all nine home games, you've won 10 games in the Big Ten because we've already won one, So, which is going to be difficult to go undefeated. I don't think we will go undefeated no. at home. But if we do, so. that's 10. Well, to win the Big Ten or to get high seeding, you've got to find at least three to four more road games to win. Yeah. Iowa's one of those. It's up. I don't look at a game at Purdue and circle it and go, this is one that we should win. I, I, I want to win it, but I don't think we should win that game. Or yeah. at Ohio State, I don't think we should win. When I'm looking at the slate of the Big Ten schedule, I would not assume a win for any road game, no matter the opponent. I just wouldn't. I would be hopeful and more optimistic, but I'm I'm not going to go into any road game being like, yeah, we're going to we got this. But then yeah, I think and, I would only think that about Minnesota. But I I get your point. But certainly, you would be more disappointed to lose at Iowa, Penn State, Northwestern, I'm going to put Rutgers in there, which we already did, then you would be losing at Purdue, Ohio State, sure. Wisconsin, which I don't sure. think we play Wisconsin on the road this year. But then um, but then when you look at uh, when the best teams come to Bloomington to play, I don't assume those are victories either. So it's like my, my, my level of like, okay, uh, in these remaining 18 games, I'm feeling pretty solid about six of them, and the rest are like a coin flip. Yeah, I think that's fair. All the more reason why coming up at Iowa is a huge game. Also, like these three of five coming up that are on the road, you don't want to start the season one and two in the Big Ten with then two of your next four on the road and be looking at like a third of the way through the Big Ten having a losing record. Like you'd, you, you, this team wants to accomplish big things. It's going to start proving that they can win these road games. Iowa is a game, by the way, on the road that even Archie Miller teams won. It's true. Fran is that bad. They don't play defense. They don't play defense. So we got to guard the three and we got to win this game. The other big storyline of Indiana basketball, if there was one for the last week, was recruiting. A lot of holiday tournaments, a lot of holiday showcases out in various parts of the country. And our staff was out looking for them, especially the assistants, yeah. uh, Dylan Harper. When you said our staff, I thought you were talking about everybody we employ here here at the <laughs> podcast. The Hoosier Hysteric Scouting staff was <laughs> was everywhere this, this weekend. Um, but Dylan Harper clearly at the top of of the um, want list for Indiana, a guy who's seemingly a, a pure one and done, named three schools that are recruiting him the most, Duke, Rutgers, where his brother played, and Indiana. Uh, his visit to IU a few weeks back went very well. We'll see where it goes. I mean, Duke, 
Duke went like three deep and four deep for most of his games this weekend, including head coach. Yeah, they were closer. It was close. Yeah, it was North Carolina. So we'll see. Um, Recruiting Flory Badunga. You know, lots of just a lot of recruiting news. Right now, it is so widespread, the recruiting, that I think it's just going to take several months for it to focus in on who are we actually viably going for in 2024 and who is actually considering us. Well, and when Rabbi is always good to remind us about this, it's like, look, when you're when you're going after the top players, it tends to take a little bit longer. They're not guys who are like, oh, man, this is my one dream school and kind of like I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket and I don't want them to take the scholarship away from me because they find somebody else. Yes, I'll commit to you guys right now. They'll they'll really play it out and just kind of see who wins in the long haul. And from what we're hearing, direct quotes from from these recruits or the people around them is that this staff is doing a very good job at communicating and to your point of there being so many of them, it seems like we're juggling a lot of balls. We're spinning a lot of plates pretty effectively. And when you hear stuff about even Jordan Holes, um, Adam Howard being so crucial to that, not just uh, commitment, but organization to not just getting these guys to campus, but then the follow-up that's so necessary for these players to be like, no, IU really does want me. Because when you're going up against Duke and your big brother's alma mater that continually punks IU, I mean, to be in that trio is pretty good. It still makes me pretty skeptical because that's Duke and that's big brother's, you know, school that we again just got – uh, run out of the building by so but whatever it's like you gotta you gotta have uh, a lot of numbers now which like with with Archie you know it was always kind of like but god we've got like two dudes two out of like an entire class we've been working on for months and if we don't get those two we are hosed so this is definitely preferable I think but of course we need to see some commitments start to happen before 2024 actually gets here yeah i think the proof will be in the pudding i i there's they're after a lot of good guys they're after a lot of one and dones too which i i'm just not sure about i mean i'm really not i i i want us to build a sustainable program that is really good year after year and i i i worry that when you go after a lot of one and dones you're looking at a program that could be really good one year and then in the crapper the next year and we'll see how it goes We'll see. I mean, look, they're certainly in on a lot of top guys, a lot. Yeah, I wonder about the one-and-done phenomenon, having not studied it too closely like Duke and Kentucky and how many guys showed up thinking they were one-and-dones, but, oh, they're not actually quite as good as they thought yet, and so they're there for two or three years. But obviously it's not as effective as what Villanova was doing because Villanova won two at the same time Duke and Kentucky won two combined. So I think we'd all rather gravitate towards that model. Um, but I put Virginia in that model too, even though they didn't yeah. win two. But they are consistently like they had a bad year last year, and now they're back as a top ten program and really good again. With guys besides Armand Franklin, because we know him because of Indiana, you probably couldn't name another guy on the Virginia uh, roster. And they they recruit to their system. Villanova did with with Jay Wright. Clearly, Villanova had pros as well. But uh, yes, that is the model that I would much rather have 
And I feel like right now, well, I just don't, I don't think we know what we, we don't are. know. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And, um, you know, we're, we'll see, we'll see what happens. All right, man. Well, that was, we, we seem to find things to talk about, even when there's nothing to talk about. You know, this is this is where I sometimes forget we're doing a podcast because this is just you and me. Hey, it's Eric. It's Ward. Let's bullshit with each other. And, um, you know, th that could be good or bad for everybody listening at home. But it, it's important when you don't actually have a game to watch for two weeks to just be able to to talk to somebody about it. It's like Hoosier basketball therapy. That's what this whole show really is for us. Just working through our psychoses. And, and I do, I do think this break, like a mental health break of just getting a little too wrapped up and, Oh God, we just really shit the bed in Kansas and X is hurt. Everything is gloom and doom. I'm feeling better refreshed going into the new year. I hope Woody and the team feels the same way. Cause we, we still want this to be a really fun season that we all look back on fondly. I couldn't agree more, and that is why we are starting 2023 with a guest who does nothing but bring us joy. You talk about that this whole podcast endeavor is a bit of a therapy session. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's true, this is our Sigmund Freud. This dude is the one who talks us down from the ledge he is our friend. He is our confidant. He is the sage of all things Indiana basketball. And it's why we're starting 2023 with him. So let's get to it. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there is no better way to start the new year when this gentleman shows up. This is the first time we've introduced him with a new title. Ooh. I'm not sure if I have the title right, but I think it's Emperor Supreme. Emperor Supreme of Pigs.com, yes. the newly minted head dude, head honcho, the buck stops here, Jeff, DJ, Jazzy, Jeff Rabgons. I, I do believe, I appreciate that, and I do believe the official title is Emperor Supreme for Life. <laughs> oh! Emperor Supreme for like do do you have an official new title? It's just publisher. Just publisher. Yeah. You don't need anything fancy. You don't need senior vice president to bullshit. You just need publisher. <laughs> you publish, that's what you do. Right, right. Well, and the big the biggest thing, we we got a we got a great team. I mean, let's be really honest. We we got we got four really good people. Are any of them on this call? <laughs> Look, Rabbi, be serious. Be serious. We have clearly seen enough evidence now that for years and years, you were oppressed by Mike. The, the amount of information you're giving us and that you and Trevor and everybody out on the road is collecting and putting in, it's just like I have to really schedule time in my day to make sure I can sit there and go uninterrupted through it. I appreciate that. I do. I do. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, I do need to do a better job of getting inside the locker room out around noon every Friday. That needs to happen. But it that definitely will never happen. <laughs> that will never happen reliably. You know it. I know it. The American people know it. It is a goal. I'm going to put it that way. It is a goal to become yeah. more consistent. But no, I, I do like making the inside locker room really 
um, you know, comprehensive, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people have, you know, families and kids and church and school and work, and you might have missed a recruiting tidbit here or there. You might have missed a threat. So I want to make sure that, you know, when you read Inside the Locker Room, you've caught up on the week. You know what's going on. You know what's likely to happen that weekend. You know if the coaches are likely to be out recruiting. If so, whom? You you get my opinion on, hey, I think you need to pay a little more attention to this guy. Or, hey, this guy's new on the radar, you know, but jot him down at least in pencil. I do want to make it comprehensive. And I, I really do like, you know, somebody was a couple of people I know really well were giving me grief. They were like, do you realize you wrote almost 4,000 words? <laughs> do you realize that? And I was like, no, nah, I'm just writing about, you know, I had my notepad and I just kept flipping pages and typing and flipping pages and typing. And all of a sudden, yeah, I guess we had 4,000 words. I, the I the shackles share. are off. I got to share this is just something personal board. You may even want to cut this out. I don't know. Sure. So my girlfriend, Holly and I have been watching West wing from the beginning. She never watched it. And I am a sick fan of West wing. I've seen probably every episode a half a dozen times. Okay. So we've gone back to the beginning. Most recently, there's an episode where Toby Ziegler played by Richard Schiff, who is the communications director is hiring a new speechwriter Cause Rob Lowe, spoiler alert has left the show and he brings in Joshua Molina, who is an actor who's been around the Aaron Sorkin world forever. And he's like going to test him out. He wants to give him like an audition and he hands him a yellow pad and he goes 500 words on America's international relations and place and, you know, society, whatever. If it's 501 words, don't show it to me. You've got till tomorrow morning, something like that. Holly goes, let's do that. Let's pick a topic, and you and I write 500-word speeches. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. So we picked a topic, and we said, let's write it on American exceptionalism. And we sat next to each other. We gave ourselves an hour, and we wrote 500-word essays slash speeches. And we're going through it, and I'm like, smoke is coming out of my ears. I'm like, this is difficult. I'm using the same word like 17 times in four different sentences. I'm like, I'm going back and re-editing, and we finish it. And I look at her, and 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 she reads me hers, and I read her mine. And then I just go, what the fuck are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? This is what we chose to do as an activity? We just gave ourselves <laughs> homework assignments? We just wrote 500 words? What? Who in the world is doing that? We're, I mean, it's, we're not even playing Scrabble. We're writing 500-word speeches like two idiots. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to cut it. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Anyway, writing well, 500 words was not easy. <clears throat> but, Rabbi, I mean, you're, you're dipping into the 26s. And to get it to IU basketball just for a moment, just for a moment, is... Uh, the amount of work that is being thrown your way by this coaching staff, just in terms of the outreach and everybody they're communicating with, they're looking at, you yourself have said this is unprecedented. Should we be really excited about this? Yeah. I mean, I think... No. Yes. (laughs) No. Because they've gotten uh, an, 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 an unprecedented amount of five stars national top 50 and nationally ranked guys on campus in a fall and early season. Let's call, let's go August through New Year's Eve, okay? Okay. 
uh, talking to you know old timers, people have been around for a long time. Andy Graham, who wrote for the Herald Times for years, wrote about recruiting. Bob Hamill, all of them talked to a bunch of people. Nobody remembers anything even close. So they are doing a phenomenal job on getting impact players on campus. They're also doing a really good job of getting ahead. That means you are already in contact with 2025s and 2026s, so you don't have to do what IU has had to do too many times in recent years, that is scramble for the next season every season. Mm. IU has to get off that. They have to get off that roller coaster of every year needing impact players for next year. Now, you're always going to try to add talent. That's not the point. There's a difference between wanting to add talent and needing to add uh, impact players, whether it be portal or high school, just to have a good season. So they're doing a really good job with with the 2024s. The 2023s, obviously, that's going to be spring. Portal or guys like Tamar Bates and Malik Renault who pop open. 2023s basically put on pause for right now. It's not done, but it's on pause. But they're doing a phenomenal job with 2024s. Um, they're getting into the 2025s, and they're starting to get 2026s in campus, on campus, um, starting some communication. You can't talk to them directly, but you can call their high school coaches. You know, I'm sitting there talking to Tyron Stokes, uh, originally from Louisville, not a prolific prep in California, who's going to be somewhere in the top 10, 15. I don't know. None of us are an expert on the freshman class in, in December, okay? But he looks like what a top 10, top 20, top 15, top 20 player looks like. They're already involved there. So they're trying to get to the point to where instead of in scramble mode, or as some college coaches would call it, chase and pray, they're getting to the point where they have connections and they're operating from a position of strength. That's what they're trying to do. And to me, that's what really smart programs do. Like you want a specific local example, that's how Purdue landed Cannon Catchings. They did a great job of using their network of people around the state going, hey, Early And this started when before he hit high school, um, Matt Painter and his assistants were calling around going, hey, anybody young really worth our time early? Several people said cannon catchings. Okay. Painter sends an assistant. Go look at him. Ah, coach, you really got a chance. We ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to be paying attention here. Okay. Get a lot of film, watch, talk, conversations. Cannon, his mom, Tamika Catchings, uh, his, who's his aunt. I think everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Head coach goes out, watches, likes it. Head coach watches some more, goes, you know what? I think it's good enough. And so, boom, what do you do? You start pursuing. You don't just sit around and hem and haul and go, well, we'll see. I don't know. No, you pursue. So Indiana is trying to get to a point to where, to answer your question, Indiana is trying to get to a point to where with some of these younger kids, they're seeing them enough early to where they can make earlier decisions as far as, pursue or don't pursue is he on the radar or is he a target and if he's a target then go chase him pursue him don't just sit back if that's why we're seeing i think a lot of these 2025s malachi moreno jasper johnson etc i mean they've had i believe all except for one or two kids in the midwest ranked in the top 50 in the 2025 class already take on official visits yeah, I mean, look, let me clarify when I was shaking my head and being sarcastic and saying no earlier. I agree with you on 2024. But when I read on Peaks with my VIP uh, membership that I still pay for, by the way. Same. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. I mean, can't. there's no benefits. There's no perks. Um, 
when I read that you were talking about a 2026 kid, I wanted to fly to Indianapolis and put you in a rear naked chokehold and just <laughs> just choke you out. I mean, I I am worried about Thursday at Iowa. That's sure. what I'm worried about. I, sure. can't, I there's there's very limited space up here. Very limited, as you both know. Yes. And whatever is there is focused on this year, next year. And yes, I'm paying some attention to 24. But when you start talking about 2026, which, by the way, would be Mike Woodson's last year of his contract, I just can't get on board with it. I can't put my mind to those people quite yet because the world is going to look very different in 2026 than it does right now. And who knows what will be happening? I mean, who knows? Uh, one thing we know, Race Thompson will be starting at Power Forward. Now, other than that, <laughs> other than that, everything else will be different. So, Rabbi, before we go on, I want to go back to your in-depth, intrepid reporting and have you tell me how how are our boots on the ground? How are these dudes in IU men's basketball offices actually going about getting this done? And I think this is a time to shine a light not only on assistants, but other guys around the program who are putting IU in positions with recruits that we've never been in before. Yeah, that's a really good topic. And and it's certainly germane to what's going on right now. Um, as you said, the assistants are, are doing a lot of work. You know, they're, they're, the, they're the lead ones who go out on the road, watch players. You know, Kenya was just out there uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was. Um, you know, uh, you, you had you had uh, assistants seeing other guys over the course of, of the of the, the fall and certainly the start of the season. So I, I would say the assistants deserve a lot of credit. Sure. Uh, somebody else who deserves a lot of credit, who people on the board probably know the name, but I don't know how many people out there and just sort of the general casual fan land know the name. Uh, but Adam Howard, yes, um, graduate manager now. And with um, the way things are structured now, um, basically everybody on staff, including graduate managers, can reach out. They can talk to uh, talk to recruits. They can talk to players. They can talk to parents. They can talk to high school coaches, AU coaches, what have you. And Adam Howard's done a really good job of sort of helping the assistants, in, you know, maintain communication on daily and weekly basis um, and actually doing a lot of communication, making sure the the primary targets hear from Indiana consistently. Um, Adam Howard's done a really good job making sure there aren't communication ga gaps. Um, and Adam Howard's also done a really good job of keeping track of, okay, um, coaches, Here's the guys you like the most. Um, here's the last time we went and saw him. When do you want to go see him again? Mm. Or, hey, here's a guy you watched on film. You like him. Here's his next 10 games if you want to take a look at a time when you want to go see them. So I think, I think Adam Howard's an incredibly organized guy, and he's somebody who does a really good job with communication um, and does a really good job in just helping the assistants because the assistants have a lot to do. You know, they've all got scouts to do. They've got practices to run. Um, they've got parts to play in practices. They got to deal with each player. You know, there, there, there's some shocking breaking news here. There's occasionally a little drama in the lives of college kids. And sometimes the assistant coaches got to be there and work through it. So assistant coaches have a lot to do. And Adam Howard does a phenomenal job of, uh, you know, spearheading some communication, organizing some communication, helping the assistants, you know, track who who do we need to see, who have we seen, when do we know, need to go see him again, and all those kind of things. And, and Jordan Holes, obviously, he's new to this. This is, you know, year one for him. Uh, and he was also just jumped in with both feet as far as, okay, 
you know, communication. What do I need to do? Who do I need to stay in touch with? Um, and I think Jordan Holes deserves a lot of credit for that because he obviously, this is a folk hero almost of a person, really, a Mr. Basketball from Bloomington South, a kid who was a starting two guard for an IU team that was ranked number one in the country, somebody who is beloved. And yes. he's walked in the door and been like, okay, guys, what do I need to do? Teach me. I'm here to learn. I'm here to work. He's not just strutting around town going, I'm Jordan Hulls. You know, he, he showed up to work. So I give him credit for that. But but Adam Howard behind the scenes, that's a name over the next 10, 15 years I'm going to pay attention to because I'm very curious to see where Adam Howard's coaching career is going to go. Rising star, no doubt. All right. Let's talk about the Indiana that is on the court right now and not the one that's going to play in 2074. <laughs> <laughs> uh rabbi you and i have gone back and forth on this uh in the past uh -huh. i remember you quoting i believe slick leonard who used to say that you never really know who a team is until you get a third of their games in i came back at you i believe last year and said that doesn't work in college basketball because too many of those first third games are non-conference games so and you that was and a, I, that was a good point that was the more i thought about it that was a good point you made a really good point there well, I think as that much this as year, I hate to give you well, I think that the proof you need look no further than this year's Indiana team who has played uh, how many games now are we in uh, 13 games 13 they're 10 and three and and two of those have been big 10 games, but we're we're more than a third in and I would argue we still don't know who the hell we are um you know, obviously four big non-conference games were were everyone was expecting like, okay, once those four happen, we'll know who we are. The problem is Xavier, we went on the road and won a tight game with a team with a first year coach there who obviously that team is getting better and better with every passing week. That's what it looks like. When we played them, they probably weren't that good yet. Then we played. Why, why got to take credit away from our one good win out of these four? I'm just, it was a great win. I'm just saying they weren't as good when we played them as they are now. Would you argue that? I mean, I don't know. I haven't been watching them. Rabbi, is Xavier as good now as when we played them, or are they better now? They're better. They're, okay. they're reasonably better. All right. Hey, we'll we'll see if the NC tournaments, NCAA tournament selection committee cares about that. Yeah, no, it, it's a really good win. We then played North Carolina. Is it okay if I shit on North Carolina when we played them because they were awful? Yeah, yeah, that that still stands true. Okay, so they're they're I mean, no, they had a, they weren't they weren't awful. They, they just lost awful. three games. Uh, they were they were they were playing bad basketball at the time, but they were not an awful team. Okay, fair. I mean, they were RJ playing Davis, bad basketball. You know, uh, Caleb Love, a hobbled Armando Baycott. You know, yes. Mans. I mean, those guys still played in that game. It, yes. It's still like, and on on paper, assuming North Carolina gets its you know train back on the track. It, it should be a quad one win on Selection Sunday. I, quad one wins are quad one wins. Fair right. enough. But when we played them, they weren't that good. My only point right. is <laughs> that we, we then played Arizona and Kansas, who boat raced us, basically. We got back into the game a little bit against Arizona, but there was no doubt who the better team on the court was. And then we played Kansas, and, of course, Xavier goes out with an injury. We look totally outclassed. And so I kind of look at these first 13 games. Oh, and we got boat raced at Rutgers, yep. which was the same, which may be, honestly, of all the games we've played, if you wanted to look at one game as to 
how good or not are we? That might be the one to look at of these first 13. I don't know. I mean, I see us ranked 15th in the country. Warden, I talked about it earlier. I don't buy that we're anywhere near the 15th best team in the country. I know you vote in those. So I'm curious your thoughts and where you're, where you're voting for Indiana these days. But what are we, well, Robbie? I don't, I, don't, I don't vote anymore. I gave up the vote when I became publisher because oh. I didn't think – I don't want to be a, one of these people who votes haphazardly. I actually would take time. I would get on Synergy. I would study the other teams. I would study results. I'd get on Torvik, you know, get on Ken Palm. And I felt like being publisher, I would not be doing pigs.com justice to be spending more time, you know, as, as an AP you, voter. So I, I gave up my vote. I gave you up my got integrity. You have integrity coming out of your eyeballs. <laughs> you are filled with integrity. That's the glow that you have. It's integrity. <laughs> That's what it is. All right, but say say in what you've been able to assess of other teams, big. Yeah. Well, let, let's just we just stay with my question of what are we? Yeah, that that's I'm getting them back to that. Okay. But uh, yes, Rabbi, please yeah, continue I mean, with what you were saying. I think that's I mean that is the question right now, and we we do have a we have some glimpses, okay, and you know the Xavier win was for my money, the best win that IU has right now. Um, even though Xavier's better now, Xavier was good. And that was a true road game. That place was full. Xavier people were into it, and they were loud, and they were obnoxious. And I mean obnoxious in the way you want college basketball fans to be a little obnoxious. So I think that's the best win. Uh, Kansas showed, and I understand you have a star player go down, emotions, et cetera, et cetera. IU wasn't in the game really at the point Xavier got hurt. So I don't think you can point to the margin or the result based upon an injury. I mean, IU just had nothing for Jalen Wilson. They were doing a terrible job grading, guarding Grady Dick, KJ Adams, McCuller. I mean, it, you know, MJ Rice, even a little bit here and there. Um, they showed the difference between a top five team and where Indiana is right now. Even when Xavier Johnson was out there, IU was not a threat to win that game on that day in Fall Gallon Fieldhouse. Now, not a lot of people win in Fall Gallon Fieldhouse. I get that. You want to put your team in some hostile environments. If for no other reason, it, it's better in, for them to figure out in December what they need to do to be at their best, to be an elite team, than figure it out in, in February. I mean, luckily for IU last year, they figured it out in March. That yeah. they figured it out, that's good. They made the NCAA tournament, that's good. You know, you're going four year, five years without making the NCAA tournament. Job one last year was get into the NCAA tournament. Okay. Did that. Good. Yep. But nobody is going to sit around and celebrate. No IU fan is going to celebrate five, six years in a row of no NCAA tournament success. No. Getting there is was job one after a terrible five-year stretch. It is not anywhere near the expectation for the Indiana basketball program. So I think it makes more sense to play some tough games in December. Now, if you have a really young team, no, don't throw them to the wolves and tear their confidence down to where they're shattered in January and February. But you got some older dudes. You got Trace. You got Race. You got Miller Cop. I know he transferred, but he's played a ton of high major basketball. You got Xavier. You know, you got some guys who it's okay to throw them into the fire. Yeah. I think that I think those those two games, particularly I'm talking about Arizona and Kansas, made a lot of sense for this Indiana team this year. So they go in and they see how far away they are. Now, yes, they fought against Arizona 
I don't really have a problem with how they competed against Arizona. They didn't play well for extended stretches, but they competed. You know, they, Xavier goes out, and all of a sudden, 17-0 run by Arizona. Boom, big margin. IU fights back to within three. Now, IU was never a threat to win that game because Arizona came back with counter punches every time IU punched. But IU did compete. But those two games really show the difference between an elite team and Arizona and Kansas, our Final Four contending type teams. Those are legit Final Four contenders. And IU's not in their ballpark right now. They don't have the shooting. They don't have the playmaking off the dribble. And their IU in too many games becomes too one-dimensional. And I'm talking about real games, not the Jackson State Bethune-Cookmans that you're going to smash no matter what. In, in primary games, IU's become way too dependent on post-scoring. Their offense at Rutgers was damn near Trace, save us. It was damn near Archie. That's what it was. What, but but it was it was hey Trace save us you know and you can talk all you want about why you missed open shots, okay technically yes that occurred, but Rutgers dictated to IU what shots IU was going to get. Right. IU offensively did not for any stretch at Rutgers on that day dictate to the Rutgers defense. Rutgers looked at IU and went, oh you want to take those shots? Good. Those are the ones we want you to take. Please take some more of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times they didn't even go out and guard some some IU guys. You know, there's that one terrible sequence, well, terrible for IU, where Race gets the ball and he's standing there at three-point line. The guy who's technically quote-unquote guarding Race doesn't leave the lane. He just leans forward and stares at Race like, I was told not to guard you, so I'm not going to. <laughs> and Race passes the ball, and they throw it back to the back to Race, and the guy stands there again like, these are my orders from my coach not to guard you. Race takes the three, misses it. And afterwards, Woodson's talking about, you know, well, you know, as an example of the open threes we got. On paper, yes, technically. But the reality is those were the shots Rutgers allowed you to take. So Indiana's offense, I think one of the things, there's a lot of things with the IU offense to look at. But the primary one is, can you run more action to get some things that you want to get? Um, and two... You know, if people are going to let some of your guys shoot, then what kind of percentage are they going to hit? You know, I use percentages right now. You know, they're, they're not awful. They're, no. They're really, they're really not. I think some people are saying, I use sucks from three. I, I think some people are just echoing things that they've been saying for a couple of years and aren't totally. actually looking at what's going I mean, I use shooting 36.5% from three. Top 65 in the country. Not great, but not really a problem. You know, you get around 36 and a half. 37, if you could get that thing up to 37 and a half, that's not really a problem. Well, uh, I would argue, Ravi, I would argue you don't have to get it up at all. I I would argue 36.5 is fine to compete at the highest levels of college basketball if you're taking enough of them. But we still rank about 300th in the country in the percentage of three-pointers that we are taking. And we rank, I think, 287th. Let me just look real quick. Yeah, 287th in our point distribution from three. We're just not taking enough. If you hit 36 to 37% and you're taking a good number, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the – and they have, um, over the last six games, they've averaged right at 22 three-point attempts per game. It's getting better. Um, It needs to stay at that level. I would rather it, you know, I think it needs to get closer to 25 Mm-hmm. Um, you got some more guys who are making them now. And anytime anybody is over 40%, 
the analytics will tell you they need to take more threes, not less. So when you get guys starting to get up to like 42, 44%, they need to take more because going 38% with, with, with more attempts is going to improve your efficiency. Um, so I think they do need to, um, you know, keep that up with 22 plus. And I think it really needs to be 22 plus. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you really can't just be post scoring dependent all the time. Now, yes, Trace is your best player. Yes, Trace Jackson Davis on the block. I can tell you this, Trace Jackson Davis on the block is the offensive weapon that scares Big Ten opponents the most. Okay. okay. So you still need to scare the opponents with your big dog. But you can't be totally dependent upon him to save you. You have to have other components. And when you throw the ball to him, like like at Rucker, Rucker's basically bracketed him and had at least one other guy no more than a step away. He was damn near triple teamed. And there were a couple times, you can freeze frame that game, where there's he's bracketed front and back. There's another guy here, another guy over here. He's got four guys within one step of him. And they weren't really running hard cuts. They weren't really running good screens. Um, they didn't screen off the ball. They did one little thing, one possession, but it was more like a, a walk by than a, a true screen. So there's a lot of things that they can do to free up cutters, to free up drivers. And there's a lot more they can do with screening to try to get shooters open. And there's more they can do. I, I'm not too sure you couldn't make an argument that I use second half against Kennesaw State. I get that it's Kennesaw State. I'm just talking about what they ran, not who they were playing against. I'm not too sure you can't make an argument that what IU ran with the high ball screen, how well they ran it, pulling Trace all the way up to the erase all the way up to the key, having him slow roll sometimes down the middle roll, not just dive to the block, and then having sometimes Trace stay out. So it was true five out. So you've got multiple driving lanes, multiple opportunities to screen off the ball, and then the, the guy who sets the screen can dive to the corner. I'm not too sure that wasn't some of the best offense they've run all year. Well, it was also the most similar to what we ran at the end of last year. The Big Ten tourney. The Big Ten tourney, the Michigan game, the Illinois game, the Iowa game. You know, that that is what we were doing. And then for some reason, we stopped doing that and went right back to just get traces deep inside and get them the ball as possible. But you, you're focusing on offense, which I understand because the offense just isn't very good. Earlier in the episode, I made the point that really the while our offensive efficiency numbers are up this year versus last year and even some of Archie's teams, it's almost exclusively because the three-point percentage is higher. Like the, the yeah. three-point percentage high, being making more threes has in we just get more points per possession because of that. But right. the offense doesn't look any better. It's not inventive. It's not innovative. It's not free flowing. It certainly doesn't look like what Arizona and Kansas were running. You know, nothing, nothing like it. Right. Um, but we all thought we could hang our hats on the defense. The defense has not been very good, especially against the bigger teams. I mean, Kansas and Arizona embarrassed us defensively. I mean, we gave up 72 points to Elon. I get that it's it's hard to keep your foot on the throat of a team like Elon, but the defense has not been anywhere near where it was, where we thought it was going to be or where it was when it was at its peak last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at their defense and, you know, they're sitting there, they're, they're 33rd in defensive efficiency. So, so you know, you got... 350 some division one teams it's not bad but it's not dominant like they were last year um, now part of that is 
you lose Xavier Johnson. He is their best on-ball defender. He is very disruptive at the point of attack. He was able to force teams to go left or right, um, and, and he, was, he was able to dictate defensively. IU doesn't have anybody else who can dictate defensively on the ball at the level that Xavier can. Jalen Gifino's good, but he's not Xavier on the ball right now, 13 games into his college career. Um, so 33rd, it's not bad, but it's not a dominant defense. When you're looking, because I'd imagine you uh, do make some time for our Big Ten opponents that are coming up, and we've been, we said it earlier in this show, I believe, we say it all the time, the Big Ten is stinky poo-poo this year. <laughs> um, would you agree with that analytic Bart assessment? Roberts, BartRoberts.com. <laughs> he has the Big Ten at a 42 in the stinky poo-poo ratings. It has a big stinky poo-poo emoji right next to it. <laughs> Um, is that a fair assessment? And if so, uh, how do we recalibrate, you know, expectations of, of where we are in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten's not terribly strong at anywhere except for, like, right at the top. You know, Purdue's ranked number one in the country. Um, but, you know, part of that was their wins over Duke and Gonzaga looked early in the season in November when they went out to uh, the Phil Knight event. Those look like wins over two of the best teams in the country. Well, Duke and Gonzaga aren't two of the best teams in the country right now. Um, so I think those those wins were um, they were properly valued at the time. But as the season moves along, you get a little better gauge of just exactly what what teams are. And Duke and Gonzaga good wins, but I, I think you know a, until UConn got upset by Xavier, UConn was playing better basketball. Than yeah, Purdue. good point. Um, you know, I think you can also make a pretty clear case for Houston, Arizona, Kansas, UConn, all being better teams than Purdue. Now, Purdue has played very good basketball. They, they get credit for it. I know you're going to yell at me, but they have played good basketball. But I don't think outside of having a team ranked number one, the Big Ten really has too many other teams that scare you. You know, they've only got four teams in the rankings. Only five teams are even getting votes. Even last year. I know there were at least multiple weeks where they had nine teams getting votes in the AP Top 25 poll. Pretty sure there were a couple weeks where they had seven teams ranked. Um, so, yeah, the, the Big Ten is definitely down nationally. They, do, they don't have the star power, um, and they don't have the teams that scare you nationally. You know, I mean, Michigan loses to a directional school. Um, you know, things like that have happened. You, you, you know, you've had a number of Big Ten teams that have had some losses where you look at and go, whoa, wait, what happened there? Um, then you have some results where, you know, Maryland plays really well, and then Maryland goes on the road and gets just absolutely hammered by, like, almost 30 or whatever it was, 25 at the end maybe. But it, it's not the league. How about they got – Maryland got hammered at home by UCLA. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, it, and then got hammered even more on the road against Michigan. And Iowa loses to Eastern Illinois and Marty Simmons. Congratulations to Marty. But yeah. Iowa was 25, 6, 7-point favorite or something. No, more. Wasn't something, it? Was it a 30? It, I can't remember. It I was thought it was the like the, wasn't it the biggest upset against the spread in the history of college basketball? It was something like that. Yeah, it, it was definitely up there. I think it was like a 31-and-a-half-point spread or something, and no okay. team that was that that uh giving that many points ever ever lost at least not at home at least not at yeah home. i mean yeah. just so, the, so the Randy, where do you put indiana in the big 10 right now where would you put us fifth or sixth 
Okay, but if that's the case, just, by the way, just, I think just, that's fair. I think that's Yeah, fair. I do too. That's why it hurts. But, Rabbi, if that's true, and if that's where this team ends, and let's say it does not end in a deep NCAA tournament run, isn't that wildly disappointing? Well, I mean, I try not to speak for the fans because everybody can make up their own opinion, but objectively, if IU finishes outside the top five, doesn't make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, um, yeah, I think that's a disappointing season. You know, you had a preseason All-American. Um, I know that they're going to lose Xavier here for for a healthy stretch, you know, um, a healthy stretch. Yeah, and maybe the rest of the season. I mean, and honestly, then, like practically, he may come back, but you break your foot and you're a guy who depends on explosiveness. That's a tough one to come back from. There's a difference between are you healthy enough to play right. and are you good enough to impact the outcome of high major basketball games? Right. You know, yeah. those, those can be two different things. So we'll see when he gets back and when he's able to impact a game. But so that certainly does matter. But e- even with that, you know, because like at the beginning of the year, I had IU 13 and seven in the Big Ten, only because for a couple of reasons. One, I was concerned about the shooting. Now, the shooting has been better than expected. That's a good thing. But there is an unbalanced schedule. And IU plays the better teams twice, plays the dregs once. It's kind of like the opposite of 2015-16. You know, IU played the worst teams uh, twice, played right. the best teams only once. So that certainly helps or helps IU in 2015-16, has the potential to hurt in, in this year. You know, the unbalanced schedule does matter. Um, so I, I had them 13-7. and seven. I still think they got a chance to, to finish somewhere around 12-8. and eight. Because, you know, I, I think home court home court should matter. And when you have veterans, usually home court matters more because the veterans understand how to sort of like the veterans don't get usually veterans don't get rattled at home, even when things go a little haywire. Freshmen sometimes get rattled. Veterans yeah, I, understand the crowd's going to help pick us up. It's I, hard to play here. So I'm still around 12 and eight or so with, with a chance of, you know, pulling some upsets. And there are a number of games you look at and go, it's kind of a coin flip game. Like at Penn State, if they defend Penn State's three-point shooting well, you can beat Penn State because you should be able to really overpower them inside. But you better defend their three-point shooting correctly. I mean, they're top 10 in the country in like percentage of points from three-point range, okay? They're not going out there just taking a few and going, oh, well, it's not working, so we're going to stop. They're going to keep firing. And you take a couple games like that and flip them between you know wins and losses, the margin between 11 and 9, 13 and 7 for this Indiana team, I think is pretty small. Yeah, and also our three-point defense has not been good this year. We're ranked 137th in the country in three-point defense, which isn't great. Um, I do want to just say one. That's a bigger problem than the defense overall. Yeah, sure. You know, because even if you're defending stuff inside the arc and at the rim really well, if you're going under too many screens, which IU has had a problem with going under too many screens, why they went under some of those screens at Kansas when Kansas is trying to get the ball to Grady Dick, it's like the guy shoots threes. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times he's driven, but I was looking at it on Synergy a couple of days before that game, and I was like, I would just do the whole DNL thing. Do not leave on Grady Dick. Just do not leave him. If somebody else gets by you, that's your four teammates deal, okay? If you're great guarding Grady Dick, you just don't leave him. Period. Right. No helping, and, nothing. And, and I was going under screen sometimes. I was like, what are you doing? I mean, the kid's six, whatever he is, six, seven, maybe six, yeah. eight, and six, he sticks threes in everybody's grill. I'm like, don't leave that guy. So I do think there are some questions about 
schematically some of the stuff IU has done. I did want to just say this about your point about veterans and helping your, you know, home performance. We don't have a single veteran on this team that has had a winning record in a conference. Not a single one. Okay. We don't have winners at the college level on our pro in our program right now. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but we were nine and 11 last year. Archie in the, in the conference, Archie never, Archie's best year was his first year where I think he went 10 and 10 and then was under 500 the rest of the time. None of these guys, race, trace, Trey Galloway, Leo, Geronimo, none of them, Xavier from Pitt, Northwestern with Miller cop. None of them have won. None of them know what it means to be dominant at home. None of them know what it means to win consistently on the road. They're all having to learn it together and they haven't yet. Will they? Well, I hope. I, I hope. I w- but I would say they went in and they won that game at, at Xavier, which th- yep. no no IU team of recent memory. You know, it would you'd have to go pre Archie to find a team that you thought would win that game, That's and perfect. then and then just slaughtered North Carolina, which we've covered ad nauseum, but that those were, that's where I started getting this euphoric feeling like this team has the pieces, the leadership, the talent, they figured it out. Oh my gosh, here we go. And then of course that we came crashing back to, let's say reality with Arizona and Kansas and Rabbi with these predictions, I feel like any reasonable person, if we'd kicked off the basketball season with a reasonable Rabbi, being two and two in the two games we just talked about was mm-hmm. probably a very fair expectation. Mm-hmm. But then, but then now this recalibration I hinted at earlier of like, okay, now, now instead of all of us drinking the Kool Aid at the beginning of the season, you excluded, of course, Rabbi, you're a, a a detached professional journalist, publisher, 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 um, Emperor Supreme. As we start the new year. What is a reasonable expectation? Like you say, we fifth or sixth right now is like, ah, okay, but it would be reasonable to be like, we could fight our way into contention in the conference. Is that unreasonable? Forget it. We're not going to win the big 10, but like third, is that the new brass ring? I mean, in theory, I think, you know, it's possible again, because there are going to be some of these games that are pretty close to like coin flip games. Um, you know, Iowa coming up. I think it's pretty much a coin flip type game at Penn State. Pretty much coin flip. But Rabbi, wait. Home, home games against like Maryland, Purdue, Rutgers, Michigan. Those are all coin flip type games. So in theory, yeah, if you win, let's say you've got six coin flip games. You win the ones you're supposed to win. You go four and two in your coin flips. Yeah, you could make a run at finishing, you know, in in the top three. I just don't think it's likely right now I, because I think, you know, Indian is going to be a little easier to defend without Xavier Johnson out there. You know, nobody else out there puts as much pressure on a defense from the guard position as far as impacting a game with speed and quickness. Jalen Huchifino is better at running an offense possession by possession because he never gets emotionally high or emotionally low. He is machine-like in his emotions. He has a very professional possession by possession approach. But even when you put Xavier Johnson and Jalen Fino out there together and said, okay, Jalen, we're going to have you at the point, Xavier, you at the two, 
you've got Xavier who at any point in time can really just create problems with his speed and ability to attack. We saw it last year in the Big Ten tournament. You know, his ability to turn the corner on the high ball screen, put enormous pressure on Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn, and that ability of Xavier Johnson's helped create space for Trace Jackson Davis to operate, to get the lob game going, to get the middle roll going. So I, I think, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, in theory, could you push for a top three? You could, but I think 12 and 8, 13 and 7 probably is far more likely right now. I, ju- I just want to point out that I was like, oh, could we push for a Big Ten title, but that we should, like, at the very least, hope we could get third. And you are you weren't even giving me, like, yeah, maybe not top three. Maybe you should, like, be happy if it's top five, which is depressing. But I'd also, like, take a step back and be like, well, if you look at those coaches who come into a program and, you know, 9 and 11 first season, uh, 11 and 9 or 12 and 8 in the second season, it's like uh, that would still be progress. Um, from even last season where we just had to really put it all together right at the end to get in to the first four. Like if we're the fifth or sixth team this year in the Big Ten and we have a solid seating and we don't have to go from Dayton to Portland in like 36 hours, that is progress. It's just kind of a bitter pill to swallow still just weeks off of thinking we were one of the 10 best teams in the country. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and I also think some of the preseason projections that come out really early, you know, they, they pick a team to win a conference before we even have a schedule, some of them. So you don't know what the unbalanced schedules look like. And I, and, and I think sometimes when those things come out, people see, oh, IU pick, Big Ten favorite, and it immediately goes to, and then you saw this on the board, a lot of people were like, we're going to win the Big Ten. We're going <laughs> to, you know, and it was like, they ran there right away. And it's understandable and it's very normal. It's, it's, you know, it's normal fan behavior, especially when something is trending toward optimism. People, you know, people want to have hope. One of the biggest things in sports is to have hope that your team might do something, especially that your team might do something special. So that was eternal. I, yeah, but I just, I never, again, they're shooting better than I expected. So that's a good thing. The defense against a three pointer, uh, has has taken a step backwards. That's a concern, especially with the number of teams that they play that, that can shoot threes. Um, and then they're going to have to do something with with special players. Like, you know, when they play Michigan, Michigan's certainly beatable, but you better do something with Jet Howard. And right. IU hasn't, you know, what did IU really do against Caleb Love or R.J. Davis that makes you go, that's something they can take and use against so-and-so and so-and-so. Didn't really happen. IU was it's solid. Voodoo. We did some Hoosier voodoo to make them miss shots. Look, I, I, I'm i with you. I just was looking real quick. When you look at the last four to five years of the Big Ten, not counting the COVID year, to finish third place, I think the worst third place finish was 14 and six Oof. in a 20-game season. I, I don't see us yeah. getting to 14 and six. I mean, to get to 14 and six means that we've got to go 13 and five the rest of the way, right? Like, I that's going to be extremely difficult. I do want to say this. Rabbi, when you what 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 hurts me is when you say at Iowa is a coin flip game. Holy shit. It shouldn't be. <laughs> it shouldn't be at Iowa for the way that they are playing with their lack of of real talent, truthfully, outside of Chris Murray. And they're getting beat by the directional school at home. They're getting smoked, you know, by they've got beat by Penn State and they lost. Who did they lose to in between there? Another team beat them pretty handily. They're not playing good basketball. And we've got an All-American on the team, the only five-star freshmen, multiple uh, four- and five-year guys. 
that's a game that should be circled as a win on the schedule, not a coin flip. If we were a team contending for a Big Ten title, that wouldn't be a coin flip game. But I think it's telling, and I agree with you, it is a coin flip game. And that's disappointing already. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And and when I say coin flip, I'm not really leaning on betting lines. I'm just looking at sort of an evaluation of, you know, sure. what's the likelihood you win. And you can look at Torvik's percentages or Ken Palms, if you like, or whatever. But no matter how you look at it, you're talking about neither team has more than like 45% chance of winning it. Anything in that range to me is a coin flip game. So, and now, now are, are there things, now here's the other part of this, or, or here's another piece of this puzzle. And like we've talked about, I use offense has been a little generic at times, way too generic at times. I, what they ran at, at Rutgers was just bad basketball. Uh, I'm going to get yelled at for saying that, but it was just bad basketball. I don't know that anybody can really argue. That. It's objective. It's an objective fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement with the IU offense. There's a lot of different things you can do. Um, you know, you, you can run more high ball screen. You can more run more high ball screen with a dive, high, run high ball screen with like a pick and pop type situation. Even if the guy who pops isn't really going to shoot it, you can just keep him up there to create space. Um, you can run some more pin downs for shooters that they've got more guys, you know, tomorrow's making more threes off the catch. Now mm-hmm. if the guy's making threes off the catch, probably a good idea or it seems like it'd be a reasonable idea set more screens for him get him open you know you're probably going to get him more threes you're probably going to get him cleaner threes and you might make the other team adjust to where they're pulling a guy further another guy further away from the paint which does what gives trace or race whoever's in the game more space to operate you know space is a shooter's best friend whatever you're doing on offense needs to be to try to get space for your shooters to operate and that includes shooters inside on the block you know, contested post shots are, are made, I think it's below 60% now in, in the high major college basketball because it's hard to score with a fellow sized defender bodying you up right behind you and you have to shoot over him or go around him. Um, there are aberrations, obviously, the Zach Eadies of the world, such and such. But you still need to try to create space for Trace. You can't say, Trace, we're going to throw it to you and score. When the other team goes, well, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put two guys on him. He's going to have to score over forearms with two guys banging him with their hips, you know, forearm in the back, in the side. You know, it, it can become really hard. So I am intrigued to see, okay, what adjustments will IU make and how, how will those adjustments work? Because there's, again, IU's offense has been kind of generic at times, and there are a lot of different things with more guys making threes and a stud inside that you can do on offense from a schematic standpoint. And you could implement that pretty quickly, right? Like that. that I have to leave. I have to go pick up my parents or they're going to be stranded at the airport. So I have to go leave, but you guys ward continue. Okay. Continue this conversation. I do want you to ask Rabbi what he thinks of IU football and the future of the program. Okay. And, and, uh, but I'll leave this on. I'm going to shut off my video. Rabbi. I love you. Happy New Year. I'm sorry, but I have to prioritize picking up my parents, which I'm already late for. I, 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 I leave, not leaving your parents stranded is 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 probably a good job for a son. Yeah. Well, I I failed miserably. All right. Be good. All right. See you, bud. Alone at last. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> 
What question yeah. did I ask you? Oh, yeah, we can implement this stuff, right? Like this, this isn't stuff you need to like put in during the summer for these kids to be able to execute, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, IU put in stuff. We saw last year, IU started putting stuff in late in the season. Even though, even the last regular season game at Purdue where they lost, you could see, hey, this offense is getting better. They're doing different things. It's hard to get them to work uh, with Zach Eady in there. But you looked at it and you went, hmm. You know, they're coming along. And then the two Big Ten tournament games where they came up with things to really attack Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson, uh, two guys who are clearly top-level interior players, not only in the Big Ten, but in all of college basketball. That showed you that they can make adjustments. Um, so, yeah, you, you could install that stuff. I mean, you know, they, they've had what, like basically a 13-day break, something like that, take a, a couple, couple days weeks. off for Christmas. So, you know, you, you still can only go, you still have to have a day off each week. But so you had at least a healthy, like eight real practices, or you will have had between December 23rd and when you take the court on January 5th up at Iowa. So yeah, they had plenty of time to install new things. Well, and, and along with that too, of how are we going to move forward without X for the foreseeable future, which as there was some hand wringing maybe on this show about such a long break, but do you feel like even maybe in, we know Trey sat out a couple of those uh, powder puff games. Uh, it, is it reasonable to think that we're going to come back, not only hopefully adjusting for life without X, but a healthier team, a team that feels better maybe than we did going into the break? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably pretty likely. You know, um, you know, if those were Big Ten games or if those games would have been, let's say, the Arizona-Kansas uh, stretch, you know, I'm very confident Trace would have played. Um, yeah. You know, very confident that he would have played. But it made sense when somebody has a back issue, if you've got a couple games you're going to win and then you have a stretch of around two weeks off, don't have your guy play in those games because then he really gets somewhere around three weeks, maybe even a little longer to rest, to get healthy, to, to get back to being himself. And I think we all saw, even when Trace was playing his last couple of games, he did not pop off the floor like he normally does. Didn't have that lift. Either end. You know, yeah. there, there are times he's able to catch it on the offensive end and just turn around. He's pogo stick off the floor. Same thing on the defensive end, you know, um, no, he, he did have a, a phenomenal shot blocking game at Kansas, you know, nine blocks, the most any most block shots any Kansas opponent has ever had. You know, Trace gave everything he had that day. Um, but I do think getting them health, getting him healthy was a really, really good move. Um, and, and I think it's you know, I, th I think that gives them a chance to to be better. And, you know, Mike Woodson, we're taping this on Monday night. You know, Mike Woodson finally went ahead and announced on his radio show that Tamar Bates is going to start. In my oh, opinion, yeah, breaking news for me, Rabbi. That is exciting. In, in, in my opinion, uh, and I, I thought that was going to be the decision just because, you know, he's a better offensive player than Trey Galloway is. Trey Galloway brings some things to the table. He's a helpful player. He's a good guy to have on your team. But Tamar Bates is better, and the better player needs to, needs to start. And especially with Xavier out, the better offensive player needs to start. Even if as a coaching staff, you rate one guy, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the defensive ratings are right now, but I know at one point in time, you know, Woodson had Galloway rated as a better defensive player than Tamar Bates. And I think that was probably very fair. I think anybody who watched every IU game probably would have come to that conclusion. But 
when you have Xavier out and you have a team that needs to do better on offense, the better offensive player just needs to start. That's the right decision. So I think it's good for IU that the, the Woodson's going to go ahead and start Tamar Bates, give you another shooter. And the other thing about Tamar, you know, watching him with KC run GMC and AAU, watching him with IMG, he can drive. He hasn't really been a driver yet during his IU career, but he, but he can drive. So if teams all of a sudden start, you know, going over screens or over playing Tamar, then there's some things you can do with some pin downs, with some floppy action, other stuff. You can get it to Tamar, let the other team overplay, and then have a lot of space east and west of him to where he's got a lane to drive. And here's a guy who's shooting 10 for 10 from the free throw line. So if, if he's getting fouled, if he starts drawing fouls all of a sudden, that's a, that is an additional offensive weapon that you did not have your first 13 games. So I think starting Tamar Bates is a really, really good idea for Indiana. What's been fun to see him, even against the the lesser opponents, but he was showing up against the big teams too, is this ascension, this player starting to figure it out. Because he came in, we, we snagged him from Texas when Shaka took off. Um, we were like, oh, cool, this is like a five-star that just we got kind of out of nowhere, it seemed like. And then we all know, like, hey, freshman year, he had a lot going on. It's the Big Ten, yada, yada. But I, I guess just talking about him, you know, when was the last IU player we saw really like start start to ascend and take a leap? And and it's a it's a painful memory, but I remember kind of thinking that about Armand Franklin, being mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy's starting to be pretty fun to watch. Um, so I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, that because I didn't know he was going to be starting. So I have two follow ups on that. One. What is floppy action? <laughs> and why would you want it? <laughs> well, um, it's kind of uh, it's it's what um, it's what Kentucky ran a ton for Tyler Hero because oh, okay. he could shoot and he could drive, and it's just sort of got different little staggers in it um, and floppy action, sort of I guess the term that that is used for it, um, but it's. It's something that you use with a guy who can shoot and can drive. Um, and ideally, you know, you want the guy to hit the hit the the 15 footer around the the free throw lane as well. Um, but really, it's just a way to get guy to get a guy who can make threes and drive, get him two clear options. Okay. Um, you know, and, and again, I don't know if that's specifically something that Woodson likes, doesn't like, whatever. I was just grabbing a general example of something that that gives you more options and you know, and, and you look at, you know, Tamar Bates and you look at, you know, his, his improvement, his three-point shooting improvement, uh, just point production. Um, if you want to get nerdy, you can look at his, his box score plus minus, especially his offensive box score plus minus. Yeah. And, you know, he's a guy that everything says, you know, he, he needs get, get him more time, get mm-hmm. him, get him more time on the court. Um, and, you know, the, the, the nerd stats aside, I think you can just watch him play you know, and see, you know, that he's, you know, certainly somebody, you know, you, you want to get out there on the court. Um, you know, I mean, he's had, you know, a couple of really good games, you know, offensive box score plus minus of 18.8, you know, against Nebraska. He's had a couple other really good ones. You know, nobody was really good at Kansas. Um, but overall, Tamar Bates, I think, is a guy who needs more time and to put him on the starting lineup is good. And actually starting him, I also think there's a residual benefit. I think it helps Galloway. 
because Galloway now will be playing more of his minutes against other teams' backups mm. as opposed to playing against other teams' starters. So that gives Great him point. a chance to be productive as well, potentially yeah. even more productive. Okay, so the second follow-up then is, and we had Jared Jeffries on last week, and he's always got great insight, but at the same time, he can't talk about individual players. Uh, but we were talking more generally uh, that he wouldn't mind seeing us just having one big in. And I wondered, uh, in your opinion, race coming in uh, seems maybe more comfortable as a five at times do you see a world going into this Big Ten season against these Big Ten teams where it would make sense to have it be Trace primarily, and then maybe instead of Race, you have you have Trey or you have somebody else uh, who who's more of a threat from the outside and can do a couple different things out on the perimeter? Yeah, I, th I think I think it makes sense to run some four out one in. I really do because IU's been productive at it. And I understand it's really difficult when a guy like Race Thompson has given you, you know, five plus years, has been a great guy in the program, never caused any problems, worked his tail off. All the intangible things are good. It's hard to say, okay, you know, we're going to reduce your minutes. I understand that's really, really difficult. And you don't necessarily have to reduce his minutes. You could change where you put him positionally. Um, putting two guys at or near the block, I don't think makes any sense at all in college basketball in 2022, 2023. I just don't think it makes any sense. I don't think it, I don't see how it creates any advantage. Um, now, if you're going to play those two together for extended periods of time, and I also think you need to get something out of it. For example, you need to have a pretty solid offensive rebounding edge or, or something. There needs to be something that you get that's a clear advantage for you if you're going to play two bigger guys together. Um, if race's shooting is okay from three, you can play him and position him differently. You well, know? well, you've been talking about race as a three-point shooter since he was in middle school, and <laughs> and then he in one game he single-handedly almost proved you right uh, when he knocked what four down. But but do you think that's realistic for us to think he's going to be over thirty percent this year and could really play that role you're talking about? Uh, I think that would be probably being a little bit hopeful. Yeah. You know, I mean, what is he right now? Is it 30? Where are we at here for race? 27.6%, eight for 29. And and that's uh, after he's been on fire lately. <laughs> yeah. That that's really not, that's really not good enough. Um, because, and it's not that the make rate's not great, which it's not, but other teams are going to look at that guy and go, there's no reason for us to go out there and defend him past the arc, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, where you position your guys determines somewhat of what a defense does, but the defense also gets to make decisions too. You know, if you put five guys outside the arc and three of them can't shoot, the other team can just wave at you and stay, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, it's like what Purdue did against IU like two years ago when the, even though they were technically playing man to man, it was almost like a little bit of a triangle situation where painter ordered three guys you know, 
don't be more than one step outside outside the lane, no matter what, because the guy you're guarding doesn't scare us. So don't go out there. Yeah, we don't give a bunch of offensive rebounds. Michael Lewis, he had the scout against IU when he was at Nebraska, and he was like, just don't go out there. And they beat right. us in Bloomington because he was like, that they they don't have anybody who can make it from out there, guys. Don't worry about it. So right. you know, now when you're looking at Miller, you're looking at Scoop. Uh, Trey is definitely better this year. Jalen is uh, has potential out there. I mean, to me, I'm like, ah, like there's your four out and one in that I guess, depending on matchup, but I think that's just something you say. I think I'm like, I'm getting greedy now. Now scoops in there. I'm like, now I'd swap me uh, a, a tray for a race most nights. Yeah. I mean, you now have, what is it? One, two, I'm counting three, four. So you got five guys shooting 38% or better. And all but one of those guys is averaging a made three or more per game. You got to seriously think about playing that lineup with Trace Jackson Davis, at least for some pretty solid stretches, because then you can play a true four out one in. Um, and you would have at least two guys uh, out there, you know, who can drive. Miller's probably not a guy you want driving, but Jalen Hutchfino's fine driving. Scoop's fine driving. Um, I would seriously think about playing some real four out one in. Um, and also that's going to create so much more space for trace, you know, I mean, I mean, that's half the point, right? It's like, yes, yeah. we can actually hit those shots. Now. I like you. I'm surprised the shooting. I was really still concerned about coming into the season, but it's far enough in. I'm like, I actually think we're okay. I think all the confidence coming from the coaching staff, the encouraging them to do it, uh, has started to pay dividends and is sort of maximizing the shooting potential. Um, but then now it's it's so much harder to see that like nightmare that was Rutgers that you described earlier. It was like, oh my God, they're killing him. They're killing him down there because they didn't have to worry about uh, shooting too many of those. Right. And the other thing, I, I would definitely run more, you know, high ball screen action. I think Jalen Hodgefino is pretty good in that. He doesn't have quite Xavier Johnson's burst or explosion, but, but he's really good at it. He can also make that elbow jumper, and he's just so calm. He's really hard to speed up, at least yeah. mentally. Um, and he functions so well under duress. I know he's a freshman, but he's not a typical freshman. I would go to him and be like, listen, you know, you're you're now our guy with the ball in his hands. It's your offense. We're going to find out if you can go 32, 34, 36 minutes. Uh, you know, I don't think you can do 36 every night, but if it's really tight, man, I may seriously think about leaning on him because some of these games are going to be two, three possession games and you don't want to throw possessions away. You know, you, you know you're not going to score every possession, but you don't want to like, you know, not to bring up bad memories, but, you know, pulling all five starters at Iowa last year or benching race and trace together for an extended stretch through a TV timeout at Penn state. There were stretches where the other team went on a run and yeah, you fought back. And I believe in the Penn state game, even got the lead, but the stretch Penn state went on a run when trace and race were benched together. That really was what determined the outcome in the end. It was the so difference. I would really look at Jalen Hutchfino and I would find out, how many minutes he can go, especially in a tight game. Um, now, when, when, you, when you end up with like three games in eight days, you got to be careful with the minutes. I get that. You can also turn around and be careful with practice time. You can also dial back practice time. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say, hey, I'm a son. I need you. We're going to ride you in the games. I'm going to I'm going to give you some rest in practice. 
Sure. You, we're going to, we're going to ride you in games. I would seriously take a look at, you know, riding my studs. Shit. They're 18. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I, I, I think there's, I think those are all great points. I feel like it is um, just a reset button in a way now as we go into this. And I thank you very much for all the insight and ideas on what these guys could do to at least make us kind of happy at the end of the season. We're that's, that's where we're at as program now. Just could just kind of make us happy. Just, just, okay. Maybe you don't fulfill our preseason expectations, but maybe our new year's resolution expectations. Um, to turn to something that you know eric is just adamant about here which is which is football and i think you know look uh happily michigan and ohio state lost so iu football fans do have something to be happy about right now but we just had a big signing day matt weaver's given us the lowdown on you know who's coming in who they're still recruiting but i think what eric would want me to ask is what what is the the future of this program what is the way forward that gives us any hope going into this new year that there is hope yeah that's that's a that's a big question uh, <laughs> a really good question <clears throat> but obviously that's a whole suitcase full of things to try to unpack um i think the immediate situation is you know you need to find an experienced quarterback um i think that's that's priority one you know if, if dexter hadn't gotten hurt mm. if you could have looked at him and said okay um if you really want to play some dual threat stuff and you really want to have the quarterback running as part of your offense you know he's he's a guy to look at you know and i would have been pretty comfortable you know i know he's young he hasn't started a ton but he's got some skills and if it's he hadn't so gotten hurt it would, it would, I think it would have been a different – it would it wouldn't – there's no question. It would have been a very different situation. Yeah, I want you to keep going, but it, that idea of watching, of starting to see Scoop take off, that, you know, you could almost see possession by possession there for a game and a half of, like, Dexter starting to do some stuff and being like, well, this is this is fun. As an Antoine Randall L, uh, you know, I, I bow at the altar of the only thing that made IU football fun to watch while I was there. I'm totally okay with the dual threat thing. And I think that made it all the more heartbreaking when it happened because you could just start to see a way forward for this program, really, not just this offense or this team, but like, oh, this is what we can hitch our train to. And now, what, we're in the transfer portal desperately hoping maybe somebody isn't happy with their situation in the final moments. Yeah. Um, they, they need to get an experienced uh, quarterback from the transfer portal. Um, they have to get better on the offensive line. And I think late in the year, they did improve. Um, there was just less, it, it was more difficult to create pressure uh, against IU later in the year um, when it was way too easy to do that early in the year. And now you bring in an offensive line coach who's from Wisconsin or spent a number of years in Wisconsin, uh, who developed, did a really good job developing offensive linemen, has a clear plan for how he wants to play on the offensive line. I think that gives you some, you know, you're asking for, you know, what what are some pegs to hang hope on? Yeah. Um, he, he would be one. Um, you know, he's got some NFL experience, but to me, the bigger, nothing wrong with NFL experience. But if you've made it to the NFL, even an NFL training camp, you're pretty damn good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. To me, the more impressive thing is when he's brought in 
the, the linemen he brought into Wisconsin and developed them that led to a very good Wisconsin offense, protected, let's be honest, some pretty average passers. You know, th- those guys did a those I'm not I'm not disparaging those Wisconsin quarterbacks, but they weren't guys who walked into college and you're like, oh, that's the next Michael Penix. You know, right. they, they were guys who needed some development time. And with the way he ran the offensive line, the way he developed offensive linemen, they were able to get a running game going and they were able to protect a quarterback um, and give that quarterback time to make some, you know, some regular throws, just do some basic things, you know, really, really some, some Peyton Ramsey type stuff. And so I think that, that, that's a reason to hang to, you know, a, a peg to hang hope on. Um, but the, the, there's certainly a lot of improvement that has to happen. You know, there, there are two, 2019, 2020, they go to back-to-back January bowl games. One of the things they did really well was it wasn't just the turnover margin. It was the number of points they scored off turnovers. They weren't just opt- opportunistic as far as creating the turnovers. They would mm. turn around and get points. Mm. The points off turnovers was a really beneficial thing for IU in 2019 and 2020 when they went to back-to-back January bowl games. Then all of a sudden, you're not able to get as many turnovers. And even when you get turnovers, you're not producing nearly the points off those turnovers. So there's more pressure on your offense. And I use offense was not up to the task at all. Defensively, you know, they weren't able to create the turnovers. Even in 2019, 2020, you know, they were giving up yards, but they were getting turnovers. You know, if you yeah. give up 40 yards and get a pick and return it 20 yards, you're in midfield and the other team didn't score. So the yards they got are essentially irrelevant. Negated, you know, yeah. All they did was hold on to the ball for two, three, four, five minutes. Okay, they got no points off it. So really it's kind of, in a, in a, it's kind of an irrelevant stat when they don't score and you get a turnover and you end up returning it or, or, or you know, returning interception near the 50, getting to fumble somewhere near midfield. You kept them from scoring and you got the ball in good field position. Your chance of getting points go way up. Indiana the last couple of years hasn't got that. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to get back to where getting that many points off turnovers is going to happen again. Um, That's your hope. That's the way Tom, Tom Allen designs his defense. But I think that's one of the concerns defensively for IU is if they're not getting as many turnovers and not getting the points off turnovers, then how do they go about winning games? And I think, I think there's, I think there's a whole lot of questions going into this this spring season and going into next year for IU. Yeah, uh, getting all down into the really really geeky defensive numbers. Like I get it, I I enjoy it to a large degree. It's just something to to mull over and consider and look for in games. But there's it's points per game. That's the only measure of a defense. You know, can occasionally an yeah. offense really screw you over? I mean, we've seen it in Indianapolis all season. Yes. Um, and and make your defense not as good as it should be, but it, it's it's points per game. So just looking at that side of the ball, um, you know, in terms of anybody coming back, coming in, um, is there is there anything defensively? Just give us one peg on that side of the ball before we let you go, because I do think it's kind of what Tom Allen has been known for coming into it as a defensive coordinator, that being his background, and then him really taking the reins again this season. Uh, what uh, what would you shake up there if if it was your call to make? Or or what would you be excited about? Um, I think the secondary still should be pretty good. Um, 
you know, or, or, or it should be your, your probably one of your better units. Um, the defensive line, I think, has, has added some talent. Um, I have concerns about the linebackers. You know, mm-hmm. Micah McFadden was so good. Cam Jones was so good. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, McFadden, with what he could do, rushing the passer on blitzes, his speed to the ball carry on runs, and his ability to drop, and even if the tight end caught the ball, McFadden was right there, and most of the time, the the yards gained were going to be whatever the pass was because he wasn't going to make too many mistakes. And I am concerned about the linebackers. So defensively, I guess I would lean on on the secondary. I think they they should be still be pretty solid. Um, and, and I think with the way that the game is played in football today, I think the two most important people on defense are cover corners and edge rushers. Totally. That's just you know I would stack up as many edge rushers as I can, as many cover corners as I can, and then we figure out the rest of it. And, yeah, and if you can get a Cam Jones or a Micah McFadden at linebacker, that's great. Um, but I do have some concerns about the IU's defense um, right now. But I would say if you're going to be hopeful about a unit, I would probably lean to being hopeful about the secondary. Okay. Um, well, I do have one last question. What is your New Year's resolution – or Indiana men's basketball in 2023, just just through the end of this season. We won't look to the fall. My resolution? Your resolution for them. Oh, if I was going to pick a New Year's resolution. You, you're, you're bestowing this upon them. You're going to say, boys, huddle up. Here's what your New Year's resolution is going to be. Ta-da. Every game, you take at least 22 three-pointers and it needs to be closer to 25. The mm-hmm. offense needs to be more modern. This whole thing of throw it to trace and pray is gone. We're going to run more modern offense. We're going to get threes. And when you're open, you take the threes. Or you come over here and you sit next to Woody and you grab a box of popcorn because you ain't going back in the game if you're passing up open three-pointers because the idea is to win the game. That would be – if I could put a New Year's resolution on the IU team, that would be it. I want you to be able to do that. This is certainly the platform for it. And then I'll say on the other end, I'll echo um, a resolution for the defense. Go over the top of the screens. If you're on a shooter, go over the top or or just don't leave the guy. I think those are two sage-like pieces of wisdom you bestowed on us. And certainly all the players and coaches are listening to this episode as they do every show. So we can expect to see this coming out uh, against Iowa. Will, Will we beat Iowa? Will we? Huh? I think so. Yes. Yes. I, yes. I think, I think they. I think they beat Iowa. I think they come out with a good game plan, and uh, I think they beat Iowa. Rabbi, I hope you have a spectacular 2023. I hope to see you soon in it. And uh, however the season goes, the year goes, uh, your friendship will be very valued. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy New Year, Brother Ward. Happy New Year to all the Peasters and everybody out there. And is there anything like sort of derogatory you want to say about Eric right now? Because I'll definitely keep it in. I was just thinking about that. He's not here to defend himself. Whatever you want. You got carte blanche. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I wouldn't do that. Happy New Year to Eric as well. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. 
us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, well, who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics?